We are here with uh, Dr. Ludomirsky, Professor of Pediatrics and Pediatric Cardiology, also the Associate Chair of Pediatrics at the NYU School of Medicine. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's wonderful to be with you. Um, I thought we'd start by learning about you and, and your background. You're doing some extraordinary work around children's health. Um, that's one of our moonshots at Startup Health. And we'd love to hear about your background and your personal Mission. So I'm a pediatric cardiologist. That means that I take care of children with congenital heart disease. Uh, and it's a disease that it's not rare. It's about one child to every 100 live birth. Uh, I have done it for the last 34 years. Uh, I'm very passionate about that. Uh, and I saw the evolution in diagnosis and treatment and outcome uh, of these children. From the time that practically we didn't have too much to offer, to the time right now that they are making to adulthood. And just to mention one fact, there are more adults with congenital heart disease than children with congenital heart disease in the United States mm. because exponentially they have successful treatment, surgeries, and they are alive. So our mission right now is go from fit alive to make an early diagnosis and take care of all the children into adulthood. And what kind of progress are, are we seeing today? Give us your perspective on, on that. One of the major uh, advantages and progress was in cardiac surgery. The development of a heart-lung machine that we're able to use for neonates. 35, 40 years ago, we didn't have it. The other uh, innovation and another progress is definitely in imaging. Uh, ultrasound came as the non-invasive modality that can give us a very accurate diagnosis from fetal life at uh, 16 to 18 weeks. And then through all of her life, this is the best non-invasive modality. The other major progress happened in the uh, cath lab that right now we are able to solve a lot of problems that before went to surgery. For example, closing a hole between the two upper chambers of the heart. 95% of these cases right now, we're closing with a device in the cath lab. Definitely major involvement also in irregular, regular heart rate. Now we can ablate the source of the arrhythmia and uh, not speaking about major, major progress in uh, uh, medication, uh, all the pharmacy, uh, and, and especially medication for heart failure, and so on and so forth. So on the other hand, we start to understand the genetic background of congenital heart disease. I believe that in the coming future, we'll be able to identify a genetic pattern, if, and if it's so, maybe to have genetic uh, diagnosis, even a neutral genetic uh, diagnosis in utero. So let's dig into that just a little and, and take us into the future. Okay. Um, what do you um, envision happening? What are your predictions for, for the future? And, and what are you most excited about for what's to come? So in, in our field is definitely uh, the, the uh, quality and the progress in surgery. Uh, if we take one of the lesions that it's, was completely lethal, not long ago, it's called hypoplastic left heart. It's babies that are born with only one ventricle. The left ventricle didn't develop. Uh, we didn't have too much to offer them. Now they make it to adulthood. So I expect more and more progress in this respect. Definitely, as we mentioned before, genetic analysis. Maybe if we can find out and understand the genetic background of uh, congenital heart disease, maybe in the future we can prevent it. The heart is completely formed by five-week gestation. By five-week gestation, we cannot image the heart. So we don't know. 
Some people don't even know they're pregnant at five weeks, right? Mm. Okay. But I believe that once we establish and if there is a genetic pattern and genetic uh, uh, and genetic markers that we can identify that they are the cause of congenital heart disease, maybe in the future we can prevent it. Mm. So if you had a magic wand and you could solve one big health challenge of our time, either related to your field or not, uh, what would that be? I think the most challenge for us uh, is to educate the next generation of physicians uh, to take care of patients the right way. We are not treating a test. We don't treat an echo machine, we don't treat a blood gas, we don't, don't treat anything like that. We treat a patient. And so we have to look at the patient as a whole. And to look at the patient as a whole is to look at what's his psychological status, what his social status has a major effect on the patient. Nowadays, you don't have too much time in clinic because of the pressure that we are all pushed to produce and produce and to see more. Sometimes you don't have the time to listen. Yeah. And if you listen to the patient, it will give, they will give you the diagnosis. And how do you see the, the clinician's role changing in the future, um, either um, being able to spend more time with the patient or, or uh, their, their changing role? What, what does that look like? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very clear where it's going. You know, pre-hospital and a point of care are going to be the key the key for success in the future. I think it's important to take all this data and incorporate it in the decision-making of the physician. Uh, I think we can definitely decrease uh, admission rate by using all this technology. Uh, the only problem is that there is so much data. Right. And we have to be able to analyze it and come to the right conclusion. Mm. I don't believe that we get the point that machines will replace physicians, but machines, uh, artificial intelligence, deep learning definitely will help to free the physician to spend more time with the patient. You're a doctor, you're a professor, you're also an innovator, you're one of the co-founders of Onsite Med. Uh, tell us about Onsite Med and, and the solution uh, that you, you all are working on. So, uh, Onsite Med, again, it's a joint venture between the NYU School of Medicine and the Weizmann Institute in Israel. We realize that there is a major unmet need for ultrasound modality, especially in the point of care. And the reason for that is a couple of folds. If we look at the evolution of ultrasound equipment, it started 10, 15 years ago with very large machine, very expensive machine, that they were about $250,000. Nowadays, the machine is a handheld device, and I'll just show you one, okay? Wow. This, is, this is the ultrasound machine. That used machine. to $250,000 in a well, big machine. the big machine, again, and this now. one doesn't have exactly all the capabilities right. of uh, the big machines, but it used to be that the technology is really incorporated in this machine, and this is either wireless or wired, send information to your tablet or to your cell phone. The cost of this one is $8,000. Hmm. Or you can lease it for one ninety nine a month, <laughs> whatever you want. Okay. Yeah. The problem that we find out and the gap is in the expertise. So the technology becomes smaller and smaller, the price and cheaper and, and, cheaper. Cheaper, and cheaper, but the expertise is still the need for expertise 
is still there. So you still have a job. Uh, we are not replacing the physician <laughs> in any way, shape, and form. Okay, That's good. not our goal. Okay. So our goal is practically to develop something and develop a device that will practically bridge the gap between the expert and the non-expert novice user. Now, in order to become an expert in ultrasound, for a physician it's an extra year, and for a technician it's extra two years of training. Mm. And we are trying to absolutely bridge this gap. In order to do that, what we did, we developed a neural core that using artificial intelligence and uh, machine geometrical deep learning, we taught the machine to do three things. We taught the machine, first of all, to do navigation, to do detection, and to do analysis. So let me just emphasize on the navigation. So to do an echo study, especially on the heart or other organs, it's completely non-intuitive. Completely non-intuitive. So you have to know where you are. So if you put the transducer on your chest, you have the freedom to move at six degrees of freedom. Right, up, down, right, left, rotate. And for us, and for every imager, is how do you get to the right place mm -hmm. in order then to apply the analytics. So we develop a navigation system that either by sound, vocal, or by graphics will tell you, move right, move left, move up, so move an down. So another example of how technology and the physician work together. Absolutely right. Once you get to the right view, the machine will activate the analytics, and in 20 to 40 seconds, you'll get practically the diagnosis. And the diagnosis will be suspected pericardial effusion, suspected fluid around the heart, call cardiologist, mm. suspected uh, heart that doesn't work well, call cardiologist, and so on and so forth. The great thing about that is that our patents are not organ-specific, so you can apply to every other organ, abdominal, kidney stones, gallbladder stone, and so on and so forth, and it's not image-specific, so you can apply it also to a CT and MRI and PET scan and so on and so forth. So that's Wonderful. where we are. So last question. Um, what advice do you give to up-and-coming uh, innovators, clinicians, we call them doctorpreneurs, who are maybe have a clinical background but are, are building um, innovative solutions for the market today? What, what advice do you tell them? Have an open mind and think big. Because uh, if you have narrow-minded and you don't believe in the technology, uh, you'll fell behind. Right. And uh, if you adapt what the technology can help you, you'll be upfront, and your patient will definitely benefit from it. Doctor, thank you for uh, all the work that you do and, and for the mission that you're on. It's very meaningful and, and helping uh, a lot of people. Thank I you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you.